And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Greetings and welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike Trout is coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville, now part of the Athletic Baseball Show, where you'll find great baseball talk all week long and all season long. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic, and I'm joined yet again by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, and the vice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN Radio, Doug Glanville. Doug, how are you, my friend? I am doing great. Doing absolutely great. I had a nice weekend just checking out the Braves Mets. I mean, wow, a double header. And yeah. there's some good baseball going on here. And the Mets are for real. They got yeah, what a trade deadline acquisition that was. Jacob DeGrom just getting healthy. I mean, can you get any better than that? <laughs> so uh I Yeah, I was thinking week. in deadline day. Like they'll there's nobody. No pitcher will get traded who moves the dead moves the needle like that guy. Yeah. And we, Literally, we saw and figured it. That, that was unbelievable. Eighteen straight sliders, no contact. You have got to be kidding. That's a real person, right? Yeah. Hard to believe. <laughs> yeah. All right, Doug. So we're gonna do something special this week. We're gonna devote almost this entire show to the late great Vin Scully. Uh, we'll have his friend and longtime Dodgers broadcaster, Charlie Steiner. He'll join us and uh, regale us. Uh, our trivia question this week is devoted to Vin. And I think you and I should kick off this show by talking about our own memories of Vin. He needs no introduction. <laughs> he was the soundtrack of our summers. He was the voice of our sport for both of us and really... I think for everyone in America, no matter how old you are, it doesn't matter if you're 25 or 65, we all have some iconic baseball moment in our heads that includes Vin Scully's singular call of that moment. Doug, I know you met Vin, visited with him on several occasions. So why don't we start by, let's hear your memories. Well, you know, you just have to remember as you talk about soundtrack, I mean, that is a a literal thing. I mean, you know, growing up watching this week in baseball, anytime you got a taste of the national broadcast, the postseason, the all-star game, anytime you got these voices, whether Costas or Tony Kubek or Garagiola, Vin Scully, I mean, that just became something that was your lullaby, you know, that was that was it. And I you really 
underestimate how much the game starts to take meaning on from those who call the game, those voices, those interpreters, because they're bringing to it so much more than just the cadence of the moment. They're bringing to it storytelling and history, context and emotion, and some of which in some cases, you know, you're not even seeing the game. You're hearing it as, you know, pre-television days or whatever it may have been. So I, I always thought of Vince calling in that light. And just like when I met you, Jay, I was already an enthusiast of your columns as a student in Philadelphia at Pennsylvania, University of Pennsylvania. So with Vince Scully, meeting him was just like, oh, well, you know, here's a childhood in a box, right? And, and it happened to be a music <laughs> box that had Vince Scully's uh, signature on it. And uh, so that's that's how I met him. And, you know, the, the fun thing about him is we know that, you know, I, I learned as a broadcaster that he has this shoe box, that he had all these cards in it that had every story of like whoever was playing that day. It was really organized and he kind of pulled out like some tidbit of information about you. And, you know, so every time I met him, he would always recite my, my resume. He'd give it back to me like, Doug Glanville, <laughs> University of Pennsylvania, right? But then he would, you know, but the amazing thing is he would update it, right? <laughs> like, so, yeah, right. you know, years later I'm broadcasting and he's, and he just, he, I was like, how does he know all this stuff? I, he knew all the things <laughs> you were doing. And, um, and so it felt like meeting him, he, he was rolling out the red carpet and he was giving you your due and your introduction and and this is a man who's one of the greatest of all time. So the humility it takes to roll out the red carpet from everybody, for every player, for everybody who came through, who touched the game, you know, that was always powerful and flattering and, and an honor for me in particular because I, I knew what he meant to my childhood and, and just putting that voice to the game. And and I was fortunate I had Harry Carey, I had Harry Callis. And I, I understood more and more on the day-to-day -day level how important it was that you have these artists that can really paint a picture uh, with one word. And it's really vice versa. I mean, their, their words are a thousand pictures. I mean, that's what is so powerful about someone that has that kind of talent. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, so meeting him was just the icing on the cake. And, uh, I, you know, I, I think the time I met him or one of the times was when Fernando Valenzuela is getting honored. So we are calling the Dodger game. And I want to say it was close to his last season. It might have been the last season. So, um, you know, there were special moments of so many people coming through. And all these players, they, they would come, you know, Bryce Harper, what, you know, opposing players. They would come up and just want to go to the booth just to see Vin and talk to Vin Scully. And that just tells you everything you need to know. He, he transcended any loyalties, any, I mean, he universally was appreciated and accepted as as truly the voice of the game. So, uh, in meeting him, it was just the icing on the cake for me. Yeah, I just, I mean, just a such a warm, special man. Uh, I first met Vin in the 1990s. Uh, my friend John Lowe, who covered the Dodgers then, told me Vin would love to meet you. So, I mean, like so many in my profession, I made that trek into his booth <laughs> yeah. with John one day and. Vin treated me like I was Red Smith or Grantland Rice. You know, it was just so warm, respectful, full of all the curiosity about baseball you would imagine that Vin Scully would have. But the other thing about Vin, Doug, was, you know, he was a funny man. And not in a way that most baseball people are funny, but funny on a level that few of us ever reach. You, you reach it all the time, but it's like wordsmith funny. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's next level, deep thinker, funny. 
So, you know, there was a while there when I was writing my old Week in Review column at the Philadelphia Inquirer, which for people who aren't familiar with that, it was kind of a primitive version of my weird and wild column, The Athletic. When something weird or wild happened in a Dodgers game, I would actually call Vin. And I, this is the truth. Every time I dialed the phone, I would think to myself, oh my God, I'm calling Vin Scully. It's like if you could call God. And I'd think, why would he even answer? It's just me. But he always did. And he was always so fantastic, man. So I, I, I'm going to tell you my very favorite line of his from one of those conversations, which I never forgot. Uh, this, I think, was the was the first year of Coors Field. At least it was one of the really early years. And so the Dodgers and Rockies had one of those series that made Coors famous. You know the kind. Every game was nuts. The scores were like football scores. And it went on for four days, and I thought, I'm going to call Vin and see what that was like to try to describe those games. So I called, and Vin answered, and I told him what I was looking for. And here was his line, basically right off the top of his head. He said, you don't need an official scorer at Coors Field. You need a certified public accountant. <laughs> How brilliant is that, Doug? Huh? Oh, that was just... That's what he did, you know. Like you said, word yes. magic, man. He was he was magic with words, and and you're like, yeah, you kind of think, how does he even think about this? And does it does it come to him? And in in these moments, and I know he was super prepared, but but he still had this improv skill that just yeah. made it all come together. Yeah, right. It showed up in all the in all the the signature calls of all the amazing moments, and or even little moments. Um, so in 2016, that was Vin's final season. I did an oral history of Vin Scully when I was at ESPN, and it was an unbelievable experience. Interviewed 27 people who knew and loved Vin, and it was just so much fun to have those conversations because quickly became apparent who does not love talking about Vin Scully. Some of the conversations were really emotional. Rick Monday, I mean, he was te he teared up starting to, when he started to think about the last game. He really had a hard time getting the words out. I was really moved by that. And, you know, another one of the really memorable conversations was spoke to Bob Costas because he was one of many great broadcasters in our land who was inspired by Vin. You know, Bob told us told this story about he was young, living in New York, and then his family moved to California, and he and his dad drove across the country, and he can still remember going through Colorado, and his dad, the whole way, they were like fiddling with the AM radio, so they could listen to baseball, and they found the Dodgers game, and they heard this voice, and Bob said, and that is Vin Scully. So, Bob and I talked for almost an hour and a half one day. And it was magical. It was incredible. So, you know how some of us remember Vin's signature calls? Bob, of course, can do more, way more than just the call. He can do the whole Vin Scully inning leading up to the call. Or he can do the whole at bat, the Gibson at bat, the entire thing. He does it all from memory. And so I was so excited when we finished talking because it was that good. 
So if I remember this right, that was a Thursday afternoon. Two days later, it's Saturday morning. My phone rings. It's Bob Costas. He says, hey, Jason, it's Bob. You know, I was thinking after our conversation, I really didn't do Vin justice. <laughs> I was wondering if you had a few more minutes to talk about him. Yeah, sure, Bob. So we, we talked for another 50 minutes that day. And, like, we have to get Bob on one day and talk about this. That was the power of Vince Scully. Uh, no matter who I asked about him, they couldn't stop talking. Uh, he was the greatest broadcaster ever and such a humble, personable, special human being. So that's why we wanted our guest today to be someone who knew him so well. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So, Doug, we could not be more honored to welcome in our friend Charlie Steiner, uh, the one-time ESPN legend now in his 18th season calling Dodger games. Charlie, welcome to Starkville. So great to have you here. Good to see both of you guys. I saw Dougie last week or two weeks, but I haven't seen you in forever. Yeah, I saw you last fall at the... LCS, if I remember right, but enough about us. Uh, Charlie, as as we're recording this Monday afternoon, you just came from Vin's funeral. Please Mm -hmm. tell us about it. Well, Vin, I don't want to bore you to death with my particulars, but for the first time I listened to Vin when I was five years old, growing up on Long Island to a Brooklyn Dodger game. And I was one of those RCA Victor dogs that was just mesmerized to the speaker. I knew right then and there what I wanted to be when I grew up. Not just a baseball announcer, I wanted to announce for the Dodgers. But then they moved when I was eight. You know, I still understood what my path was, but I just didn't know how circuitous it would be along the way. So he has meant so much to me personally and professionally. Like I said, he was the guy that I wanted to be like as a kid. And then for 14 of my 18 years with the Dodgers, I was uh, having dinner with Vin and Rick Monday and Billy Delury every night before games, you know, upwards of a thousand dinners before games. So he was, he was, an ex- he was like my second dad. He was the guy that I wanted to be like as a kid. He was a role model. He was all of that. And you know, he he meant so much to so many, and I was just so lucky, and, and Mo, Rick Monday, were just so lucky to have spent, as they say, I hate that cliche, but it's true, true quality time with this guy for a very long time. So his loss, as, you know, 
we knew it was going to happen. It doesn't lessen the blow and the pain when you get the news. Um, and so it's been a rough four or five days. And, and today uh, it was the funeral and there were about 400 or so people who showed up, uh, family, friends, uh, lots of folks from the Dodger family. Uh, Bob Costas was there, Joe uh, Torrey was there, John Miller was there, uh, Marty Brenneman flew in, and a lot of the uh, ex-Dodgers, Kurt Gibson was there today, and, and, and that was so poignant. So it, it was a, it's been a tough day, but as we were talking before we started talking with other people listening, uh, this is probably as, as therapeutic an exercise for me as as, as I can have it. I thank you guys for having well, me. Well, th thank you for doing this, uh, especially uh, you literally just came from the funeral. I mean, do you mind telling us who spoke at the funeral? And um... the only eulogies were came from the family. Uh, and Lord knows he had a very large family. Um, and it was so none of quote unquote us spoke. <laughs> And which I think was also probably a pretty good thing. Um, and it was a it was a, a lovely service. Um, and the Scully family, they are so nice. You see where they come from, uh, from Vin and, and Sandy. And that was a, that was a love story in and of itself. And so it, it was, you know. For a day that is as sad as it is, it was also very uplifting in its own way. Yeah. Now, you, you mentioned this. Um, had you been preparing yourself for this news? I know we were starting to hear whispers Vin wasn't feeling well, but I was still so shocked and saddened when I heard this. It sounds like. Yeah, I, I, I was I, I knew the end was near. I knew oh, the last 24, 48 hours he was essentially asleep mm -hmm. um and so when i got the call i guess it was thursday night um i was at dinner the dodgers were in san francisco and i was at dinner here in la um about a half hour 40 minutes before the rest of the world found out it was still a gut punch it still it still hurt um and as i say it was it, he was in many ways like that my second dad uh, because he truly understood what I did for a living and I could uh, go to him for advice. And um, so, yeah, it, the la uh, one of the things I'm most gratified about is that uh, about, I guess, three weeks ago or so when uh, we unveiled the Sandy Koufax statue at Dodger Stadium, and I was honored enough to uh, host it because Vin couldn't. And I called Vin a few days prior to it, and I said, you know, I, I feel honored, and I feel sad that you're not doing it, and I am. And he said, oh, don't worry about that. But, you know, it's, it's your time, and whatever that was. The last call that I got from then, last time we spoke, was an hour or two after the ceremony was over. He had watched it on television. And he could not have been nicer, more complimentary, more parental. <laughs> um, and, and that 
that was my last conversation with Vin. I, I remember exactly where I was driving home under a certain overhang when, when I saw Vin Scully's name pop up on the screen. Um, and then we talked, oh, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes. And uh, that, of all the things I will remember about Vin, it may be that very last call talking about Sandy Koufax. And I'm listening to Vin talk to me about Sandy. I'm sorry, where do I sign the check and I can go home now after that? Yeah, I mean, Charlie, you know, it's, it's powerful to hear that in some ways you talk about a father figure and you admired from afar as a listener. I mean, what was the transition like going from that to, you know, sort of the man, the myth becoming the man and getting to know him? Was there any first connection you, you had with him and, and sort of put it all together for you? Uh, the first time he called me was in the uh, November of 2004. And at that point, there I was about to agree to a deal with the Dodgers. And I grew up on Long Island in this little house, listened uh, to Vin on this big radio, and then there was this black and white TV down in the basement, and RCA Victor, don't you know, turned the sound down, and I started doing play-by-play -play to an audience of two. My mom and dad were upstairs, no doubt, with their ears plugged with their fingers. And so now I'm about to get the job that I always wanted, be the Dodger announcer. And my mom at the time was 94. Uh, my father, her husband, uh, had passed away about four or five months earlier. And I was about to leave the Yankees to go to the Dodgers. And there was some conjecture in the paper as to whether or not would I be coming back to the Yankees? If not, where to? And so she got all confused. I said, I'll tell you what, when, when the deal is done, I'm going to come out and I'll tell you all about it. So I called her that morning and I said, Mom, uh, I'm coming out. We're going to have some lunch and I'll tell you all about it. She was so excited. So I, I get in to the house, again, the house that I grew up in and listened to Vin and watched Vin. And I said, Mom, do you remember the team I rooted for? She said, oh, yes, the Brooklyn Dodgers. I said, do you remember the ballpark Pop took me to for the first game? Oh, yes, Ebbets Field. And I said, do you remember the announcer I wanted to be like? And she kind of, I said, Vince Scully. And she said in an instant, oh, good. When do we move to Los Angeles? Well, she came out and, 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 and lived in an assisted living home until she passed away. So as I am telling her this, you know, this is obviously an, an emotional moment. It's an occupational moment. It's a, a family moment. And I'm trying to break it to her gently. And my phone rings. Pick it up. 323, area code. Hello? Charlie, it's Vin. I just want to welcome you to the Dodger family. And I said, Mom, I need to take this call. And in that moment, guys, you know, here it was, it's it, the, the team I always wanted to broadcast for, albeit not in Brooklyn, but I would make accommodations. Um, in that home where I grew up, where I announced my first Dodger game in 1955, uh, Vin is welcoming me uh, 
to the Dodger family. So I heard his voice all those years earlier, and now I'm hearing his voice on my cell phone welcoming me to the Dodger family. So I guess that's a long way of saying how you know, this was an emotional day for me. Um, and, you know, we can talk about how great a broadcaster he was, but he, he meant an awful lot to me just because he was Vin. And so to answer your question, Doug, I, I got off on a tangent there. Um, from the moment he first called and welcomed me, and then to uh, when I arrived, uh, and then we had these dinners. So he always embraced me for reasons, you know, I, he be best knows, and, and, and Mo and, and Billy Delury and I, the four of us spent true quality time together. Um, and, you know, he was Vin Scully. That's one of the things I always forgot. You know, he was this lovely man uh, who was funny and he was a lot of things with us. That, you know, he was not necessarily as public in and about, uh, which, and he was comfortable with us. So he, he always, he always let me in. And for that, I am forever indebted. Um, you know, I was just telling Doug, when I used to call Vin, I felt like I was calling God. So I can only yeah. imagine the, the feeling that you got when you looked at your phone and it said Vin Scully was calling. It did. It was just 323. It didn't even say Vin Scully yet. So it's 323. I'm figuring it's LA because I'm going to fly out there the next day or two or three. And I pick it up and it's Vin. <laughs> oh. Mom, they're I were, were there horns hate. going off? Like, you know, like. <laughs> you know what it was? It was kind of like a, 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 a disco ball. <laughs> Things were Right? Holy Jesus. It's, it, it's been calling me. We have a, a very nice conversation. Now, a few days later, I come out here and they don't, you know, they don't make, at that time, they didn't make many broadcasting changes. And so they have a press conference for me. The first and only time I've had a press conference for. So you do the perfunctory questions and answers, then introduces and all of that. And then you break for the individual one-on-ones for TV and radio. And, you know, usually I'm the other guy who's on the other side of the camera. Now suddenly, so as I'm answering questions to whomever, I see off oh, the corner of my eye, Vin is leaving. I'm thinking, oh, geez, I bored him to death already. And, and then I, I was told later, no, no, Vin just, he hits, it's yours, not his. He's going home. And I talked to him about it years later. And he's, he was very much like I am. I, I, I don't need big crowds. I'm not comfortable in those kinds of settings. And I asked him about it. And he said, you know, it boiled down to the four Bs. Oh, and what were the four B's, Vin? Be there, be early, be seen, be gone. <laughs> and I have lived with those words ever since. I mean, so those are the kinds of things I'll always remember about Vin. And I remember one, and, and you're, you're the big shot author and writer, both of them, for goodness sakes. Um, I was asked to do a book a few years back. And I was really reluctant to do it. And, and one of those dinners that night, I said, you've never written a book. Uh, and you, I'm sure you've been asking. I said, how come? 
And he said it boils down to the three E's. <laughs> a lot of letters. Okay, what are the three E's? I have neither the ego, the energy, or the economic <laughs> need. And I've lived with that one too. So you never did the book. So, I mean, that, see, that's the wisdom of Vin that folks don't necessarily get to see. And again, he, he was he on Sesame Street or something? I mean, it feels like a Sesame Street episode. Unbelievable. And the bees. The bees and E's. Got to write all. And they both make perfect sense. Yeah. All right. So that was 2004. Charlie, 2005, spring, you arrive, was oh. it Vero Beach, right? Still to, yep. to do this thing you've dreamed of your whole life. And this thing that Vince Scully had done for half a century calling Dodger baseball. So what was that like to work alongside Vin and, and especially for the first time? The first time I knew he was somebody else. <laughs> he, was, you know, he was above and beyond anything that I had hoped for and expected. So it's, it's the first game of spring training at Holman Stadium in Vero. And they had had a terrible hurricane. Uh, in the previous week or so. And the palm trees were down and the scoreboard was dangling by an electric cord. And there was some question as to whether or not they were even going to be able to play the game. So now I'm on the air for the first time, Mr. Dodger announcer, his own self. And I'm trying like hell to paint a picture of these trees that are just torn asunder. The trees are knocked over, some are dangling and there's some young ones. And so with that, I, I say, and now the voice of the Dodgers, Vin Scully. So now goosebumps are coming all over me. I'm introducing Vin on a live broadcast. And I've just made a total buffoon of myself trying to describe these down trees and power. And Vin sits down as if he was Van Cliburn, separates the tails of his jacket, and he says, well, you know, as you look out at those palm trees, there are the old ones who are cast aside. There are those who are kind of middle-aged trying to hang on. And then the young ones who have a healthy life ahead of them. And then he said, but isn't that what life is all about? And I went, okay, I'm going to go home now. I will never, ever top that. So do I remember the first one? Oh, shit. You know, I was like, what do you do? You can't. I've been, been. I mean, was there, you know, the poetry, the cadences? I mean, did you, as you got closer to him, did you just see it in his life? Was it, was it natural? Was it something he just sort of read? I mean, where do you, where do you think that that been, instinctual improv came from? He was as comfortable in his own skin as anybody I have ever met. And so whatever he said, he said without particularly caring if he, you were going to judge it or not. This is who he was. Um, and he just, he just had that soul, I guess, for a lack of a better term, um, an intellect, a natural curiosity. Um, he knew how to perform when the lights were on. I don't think he was ever nervous a day in his life behind a microphone or in front of a camera. And so that was what you saw 
is essentially what he was and who he was, who he was. And I said there on the air the other night for the first time, I said the late Vince Scully. And uh, it, it threw me a little bit. But, you know, so we're just now beginning to come to come to grips with it. Uh, you know, you've mentioned several times the dinners that you and Vin and Rick Monday had. You had dinner together. And Billy Delivery. And Billy Delivery, right. So you guys had dinner together before games every night. Mm-hmm. Could could you put us at those table? Uh, how would you describe those dinners to everyone out there listening who would have given anything to do that for one night, let alone, what, a dozen years? You know, it was basically four guys sitting down having dinner every night yes baseball would come up the job would come up and all the idiosyncrasies that go on in an office space um we would talk politics we would talk music we would talk theater we would talk about stuff that wasn't always dodger centric and that's also what made it neat and when it was dodger centric it could be nice and salty and funny and again he was the guy you know wherever i had been up until coming to the dodgers whether it was at espn or uh, the radio and, and and running radio stations and stuff along the way i was always the guy who's making the dis- editorial decisions but i come to it okay fine so now think back when the dodgers were being confiscated by mlb because of the mccourt Nonsense. So Tom uh, Schieffer comes in to be the acting president of the team. And so remember, I came out here as I, I was going to be the new young voice of the new ownership. And in three weeks, I felt like the spokesman for the Qaddafi family, but I, I, which I did not expect going. In. But so be. So now time goes on and the team is now taken over by MLB. And he says to uh, me and Mo, let's let's go back and have a chat. Good. And he said, this is what we're going to do, fellas. I am going to read the first paragraph of the MLB release, and that's all we're going to say about it. But, all right. If you've got a 350-pound pulling guard opening holes <laughs> right. for you, have to answer that. <laughs> so that was Vin. I mean, so he when, when he needed to put his foot down, which was rare. He did. And he just went on with it. Didn't put it. I mean, he just gave us the space not to say anything stupid over the next uh, several months. And we just called baseball games. And it was, again, all good. Good plan. I I remember you telling me a story one time about uh, you guys were eating. It was the, the, the dinner that night was steak before the game. And the steak was a little tough and vin felt the need to say something about it but he did it in the way only vin can <laughs> yeah I, 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 he said you know i think we need new utensils <laughs> <laughs> like a chainsaw <laughs> again that goes back to the palm trees that are scattered you know the state is rotten to the core and but he said i think we need new utensils <laughs> like an axe and a hatchet apparel yeah oh my goodness so, you know, was I, I, I'm always curious about the mentorship part of it and, and broadcasters coming through. I mean, did you, was he a teacher, I guess, you know, in terms of like, 
not only just by example, but did he did he actually offer tips and in, in no, 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 we, we we never spoke about that. Number one, I'm going to go critique him. All right, so we set that part of the <laughs> equation aside, and he never wanted to infringe. And 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 so when we had that last conversation after the uh, Sandy uh, statue ceremony, and then he he gave me a critique. And he said, oh, setting the tone and the pace and all of the stuff that a broadcaster would understand. And, and then it was extremely complimentary. Um, that was about the only time we ever discussed, uh, or actually I listened to um, his, his, his insights. No, it, it was, it, in many ways, it was wonderful. You know, again, when he was on the air, I was on the air. So I didn't get to hear him all that much. We had that simulcast for a few years. Um, and I would, Mo and I would be listening, and he was doing the first three innings. And, and you know, he'd be coming up with all these stories and notes off the media, uh, notes of the night. And by the time it's the fourth inning, we had nothing. <laughs> 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 he used all the A material. But that was fine. It was Finn. It, that was there was never ever a question about that. He, um, I was very, you know, I, in many ways I, there are two comps I, I, I think about in the last few days. One, I feel like Jimmy Reese, who, who, who was Babe's old uh, roommate, who was hitting fungos until he was about ninety, and so I feel like Jimmy Reese in one one respect. And I was I was telling. The, the, the Scully family today after the funeral. I said, I understood today better than I ever had about Lou Gehrig on July 4th, 1939. The luckiest man on the face of the planet. And on this sad day when it's the funeral for Ben, I felt exactly the same way. I was so lucky to have spent time with him, a lot of time with him. And yet it was a profoundly sad day. So I, uh, in, in in two diametric thoughts, I feel like Jimmy Reese and uh, and Lou Gehrig. Yeah, I've heard you use that uh, that Babe Ruth analogy to describe Vin quite a few times. So this feels like a good time to try to define the magic of Vin. And Charlie, what what do you think made Vin so uniquely great at what he did? And I mean uniquely in that Babe Ruth kind of way. Oh. You can argue who the second best announcer was. You don't even want to go in in in, in trying to say, "Oh, he was better than than uh, No, you just don't go there. Um, it was his voice. It was his vocabulary. It was his worldliness. You know, the sports section wasn't the first section he went to in the newspaper in the morning. You know, and he'd say, well, I already saw the game. Um, and, and so he he had a worldview that he could kind of put into a prism, into a funnel. And then he had the precise words, the impeccable timing. Um, and as I said earlier, being as comfortable as he was in his own skin, he was free and liberated to say what he wanted about whatever it is he wanted. Um, and that was the beauty of all of these 
brilliant calls that he had made over the years, but it wasn't so much the calls as it was the three, three and a half hours of listening to him, which then becomes distilled into an individual call in an individual moment. The fact that he was able to do that so well for so long. Um, so intellect, curiosity, vocabulary, um, he was, what's the right word? He was, he was precise. Um, he, he just had a certain something that all of us aspired to and dare not tread on his turf. Somebody said, oh, don't you want to sound like this? Never, because it'd only be second or third or a hundredth best. Vin was Vin. You could only be the best that you could be. And that's what that's what Red told Vin when he was growing up. He, he went to Vin in his first year and he said, young man, you uh, you have something that nobody else has. And Vin's about ready to have his ego showered by Red Barber. And, and, and Red says, you are you and nobody else can be you. And it was like, okay. You know, again, those are the tidbits that that I was so fortunate to hear from Vin's mouth and heart and head. Uh, so what made him? Whatever he was, he had it in a way that nobody else has ever had. Yeah, you know, look, I'm a writer, and um, I'll admit I've always been in awe of the way Vin Scully used words. His command of our language... I, I can't imagine that anyone who ever sat in a baseball broadcast booth put things into words quite the way Vin did. And I'm not sure anyone who ever wrote about baseball used the language the way Vin did. So, Charlie, you were around him so much. Um, when you were listening to Vin speak, was it almost like listening to Yo-Yo Ma play the cello? Basically, yeah, it was, I was, it, was a, it was a private concert every day. One of the things, here's one thing I did learn an X's and O's lesson from Vin when he was uh, broadcasting a game. You know, some of us have our arms flailing around as we're talking. Vin always had his fingers clasped on the uh, desk in front of him so that he was always under control. And that little thing where he just kept his hands clasped together as if he was he was part teacher, part uncle, part what, but always avuncular, I guess is another wonderful word to describe him. And again, the, the wherewithal, the, the, the vocabulary that he had at his disposal. And I've felt this from the time I first heard it to every time I've heard it since. The most perfect baseball call, maybe the most perfect sports call, was the uh, Gibson home run. You know, there were two parts to it. She is gone. And just, just the perfect timber in his voice. The crowd goes crazy. He lays out. And then where in the hell he ever got in a year that's been so improbable, the impossible. I don't know. You know, that to me is the most perfect broadcasting Play-by-play -play call, baseball call, um, and 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 it was good to see uh, 
Kirk Gibson there today. Kirk very much been very much Vin was a part of everyone's life, you know, and, and, and in Los Angeles for six was well, 62 years, I guess, in LA. Um, he was at a time when transistor radios were new, the Dodgers were new, baseball was new. He was the tour guide. And so we all grew up, whether it was on the East Coast, me as a child or the folks on the West Coast for so many years, we grew up listening to him. He was part of our DNA. And so the loss of Vin here in LA and throughout baseball, but in Los Angeles in particular, has been, you know, it, it was a reminder of our own mortality. And I think that was also part of what it is that we collectively here on the West Coast have been dealing with for a long time, or at least the last five days at any rate. Yeah. So Vin's last year at the mic was 2016. And yes. um, Doug and I were just talking about the oral history that I wrote about him um, when I was at ESPN, um, one of the most memorable pieces I ever worked on. And when I was writing that oral history, I had a hard time trying to describe Vin's voice. So I asked other people, uh, you were one of those people, how would you describe that perfect voice that Vin Scully had for what he did? I'll answer the question with the question. Did you ever hear his voice out of control? Did you ever hear him scream? Did you ever hear him like, <clears throat> it was just, he was never out of control. So that it begins with that. And you listen to his old tapes and then you listen to him in, in, in the later years when the voice kind of bottomed out, it had a little more body to it. The young voice was, um, to the Harvey Keen. Um, but then at the end, you know, uh, the Culberson home run, for instance, and the Dodgers win on schedule, you know, but, and so there was a, a, a bottom to the voice that didn't exist when he was a younger man. Um, and he, those of us who do what we do, and it's certainly not nearly as fortunate as Ben was, our voices are able to penetrate through the sound of the crowd and still have the audience listening. Uh, his just naturally, it, it had its own wavelength when he spoke. Um, and again, uh, what are some of the dopey lines I hear from young announcers now? Uh, I, I <laughs> I'm afraid know. to even ask. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and, they, and the, the game was never about Vin. The game was always about the game. And a lot of the announcers, with all due respect and so on, they think it's about them. It isn't. You know, we're the messengers. And he was he was the Quicksilver messenger service. <laughs> so and now did Vin ever sort of surprise you? You mentioned not being, you know, ever like out of control, but did he surprise you maybe with some of his poetic analogies? Like, you know, did he quote Tupac or something? You know, something you're just like, whoa, where did that come from? <laughs> uh I don't know that he was familiar with Tupac. <laughs> I could be going out on a limb on that. Um, yeah, one, one of the things, and you know, Mo and I have been uh, reflective in the last few days, it, it was always fun to hear Vin in those 
backroom dinners with a little salty language. That made our day. It was like, oh man, this ain't this great or what? Um, so I, I, I go back to the fact, and, and, and Jason would talk about the last year. I've been in this racket now, I don't know, 55 years. That was the most enjoyable year I ever had. I was the caboose on his train as, as Mo was. And, and I've said a million times, he was the only guy who could have a going away tour that came to him. They would line up players, coaches, managers, umpires, writers, reporters, just to get that those last 10 or 15 seconds to say hello and goodbye. Um, that 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 year, but in the in, in that back room where it was just the four of us, he was sequestered from all of that other stuff. And so for that hour, hour, 15 minutes, whatever it was. And, and then it was, and we had that last year, there was security in front of that door where we're behind uh, the door where we're having uh, dinner. Um, and he, to share that with him, and as the season wore on with Sandy, um, it was, uh, talk about being a, a, a fly on the wall. That's what we were. And then, at, on one breath, loved it. On the other breath, he was embarrassed by it. And another breath, it was like, okay, this is just part of the drill. Um, again, that, that, that was just a, you know, what is it? It was a wonderful year. Um, and, and to be part of that was, will always be special to me. You know, you just hit on something that I've been trying to grasp. How could uh, somebody who carried so much star power mix it with so much humility? I don't know. And I, I've said this for a long time. In Los Angeles, a city of stars. It's Hollywood. It's all of that. I've maintained, and even in his passing, he was the biggest star in this town. There was nobody that didn't love him. There was nobody that said, ah, he's not that. There was nobody who turned on a game and three, three and a half hours later didn't feel better about their team, themselves, and him. Uh, he was the he was the biggest star in this town. I don't think there's any question about it. Just looking at the front page of of the L.A. Times on the morning after his passing and uh, in the subsequent days, he was treated as a president. Uh, and, and Charlie, do you do you remember? I was telling Jay earlier about how uh, when I f first met him, or just the multiple times I met him, he always knew my resume, and then he always mm -hmm. updated it <laughs> the next time. You know, he's like, and uh, and so it's like one thing I'm trying to do now is like I'm trying to figure out if I can get like an audio clip of him in introducing me when I'm coming up to the plate. I gotta find. It. I think I have clips of it somewhere. But there's something about the red carpet he always rolled out to whoever he was meeting. And I'm curious if you recall any particular moments of, you know, being part of a triangle of, with him and meeting someone else and just how that went. You know, Monday grew up in Santa Monica. And everybody knows Rick's history. He was the first number one pick, so on. And 
his mom didn't really understand that her son was a major leaguer until he was traded from the A's to the Cubs. The Dodgers are playing the Cubs, and Vin is talking about Rick Monday. And Mo's mom went, oh, you really do play baseball, huh? So so many people feel exactly the same way. There's a a sense of, there's an authenticity stamp that comes when he mentions your name as a player stepping into the batter's box. That's one of the things Mo and I were talking about the last few days about how his mom, like, oh, my, my son, the baseball player. <laughs> you know, I've been trying to comprehend um, the history, uh, like just of Vin, let alone everything that he witnessed, everything that he put into words. He was hired by Branch Rickey, right? Um, his first year in the booth, Connie Mack was still managing. Um, his first game calling the Dodgers, Jackie Robinson hit cleanup. Isn't it hard to comprehend all the generations that Vince Scully connected? He he was hired by the Dodgers, really at, at Red Barber's behest. Uh, Vin was 20 years old, and he was just out of boredom, and he's doing one of those little weekend update uh, live uh, drop-ins of a uh, Boston University Maryland football game. He's standing on top of the roof at Fenway Park. It's freezing. And he is a 20-year-old Vin. Uh, Red liked his work so much, he hired him. Four months later, at the age of 20, Vin's doing Brooklyn Dodger games with Red and Connie Desmond. Um, And in 1953, when uh, Red moved from the Dodgers to the Yankees, Vin became the voice of the Dodgers at the age of 25. What were you doing when you were 25? Yeah, I mean, so that was it. And so there he was transitioning from East Coast to West, saying goodbye to Brooklyn and introducing Southern California to Major League Baseball at a time when these, this newfangled transistor radio thing became the thing. And it was just a harmonic convergence of talent, luck, franchise, city. Um, and he led the way. He was he was a tour guide for everybody forever. And do, do you recall, you mentioned Jackie Robinson, where any unique stories you recall about what Vin may have shared about Jackie? I know the ice skating race and oh, oh isn't that a wonderful <laughs> story? When when Rachel was in town, uh, when we unveiled the uh, the Jackie statue. Um, see, the other thing where where it's different now. Vin was so young when he was doing Dodger games; he was the same age as the players, so he was like part of the troupe, which traveled much more closely uh, than they do now. And I remember when he stopped going down to the the clubhouse and I said, well, why did you stop doing it? He said, the first time a player came up to me and introduced himself and said, hello, Mr. Scully. He said, that's when he knew there was a chasm that 
that could no longer be closed. And and so he, I mean, he wasn't angry about it. He said, okay, that's that was the line in the sand. Um, and so, yeah, he, he was announcing all of my heroes. It, it, it was uh, truly, truly remarkable, uh, whether it was Duke Snyder, Sandy, Koufax was at, at, at the funeral today. Um, you know, there's, Sandy's the last boy of summer and Carl Erskine, and now that Ben's gone. And so Brooklyn now is slowly going further and further away in our rear view mirror. And so, again, that, there's so many reasons to me why this story has, has touched us all. And that is, it, it's the closing of a chapter. And I think I said earlier, um, he has been a part of all of our lives for so long and, and, and for some certainly closer than others. And, and so the, it, it's a real mortality check today. And has been, I think, the last week. Yeah, and, and you know, yet as I was watching that celebration Friday night at Dodger mm -hmm. Stadium, um, that the beautiful video tribute that that you narrated, there was still so much reverence in the air, uh, not just fans. Um, you could see it in Dave Roberts' face. Uh, you could feel it in the way the players watched that video so closely. Am, am I right? Um, that, that, I've seen a lot of ceremonies. I don't really remember one as powerful, as emotional, as real as that one. I'm so happy that you said that um, because when we, we put the piece together, um, I sat with our producer, Eric Vasquez, who's who did all the, the heavy lifting. I just wrote the words and, and Greg Taylor, who kind of coordinated it all. Um, it was one of those where when we sat down, we talked about it like weeks ago. Hey, you know, maybe let's, we should probably start thinking about an opit, which is the last thing in the world you want to think about, but that you do. And, and it was just kind of, ah, he's going to live forever. So, what was presented to us, frankly, wasn't very good. So uh, we sat down and we wrote that piece in about 90 minutes. So it, as difficult as it was, it came out easily. And I, I think you probably can better talk about that as a writer. When, when, when you're onto something, it, it just kind of flows out of your fingers in your head and, and, and you, you have it on paper or on a screen. It, that happened with us, and it it meant it meant a lot to me. A that I was asked to do it, and B that we were just given the freedom to write it. C to have the reaction that we got on uh, at, at Dodger Stadium that night, and 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 then to see uh, a cutaway of uh, Kershaw down there with tears in his eyes. It was like, yeah, this was. This was okay, and then the, the the musical tribute with the still photos at the end. I mean, I, I saw it a half a dozen times before it actually was seen by everybody, and I thought, okay, well, uh, I'm I'm teared out now. Nah, it uh, it was it was that was another. I've had so many memorable nights in my career, and so many of them have been tied to Vin. That's also the thing that kind of grabs me in all of this. 
Well, I mean, you know, you think about how he is able to frame things. Uh, and, and it's like, a, you know, I guess, you know, you think of these moments, do you, something come to mind of the time capsule of, of some of his great calls that are personal to you? I mean, what we know, you know, I, I think, you know, right away of, of Gibson, but um, I also think about mo- watching a Montreal Expos game of the week and him calling Dennis Martinez. But uh, are there mm-hmm. any of those time capsules that come come to mind? I will always go back to Gibson. I mean, because to me, as a broadcaster and as one who just loves the written and spoken word, it was just so perfect. You know, the the, the Henry Aaron call was 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 a great, beautiful thought, but it did not have the fluidity of of the Gibson call. Um, Two and two to Harvey Keene. Again, people can say that all the time, but it was the way he said it, the use of his voice. That was the thing that I don't think anybody can ever quite match uh, and, and don't even try. Because again, and it goes, I think it goes back to what I was saying, the comfort in his own skin. So that when he spoke, it, it, it came out, Freely. How often are we, as we're talking now, we've got to think about what we're going to say again. So there was, that was none of that. It was just, that was Vin. And Vin on the phone was not significantly different than he was at dinner or as he was in front of a microphone. It was just, this is what he was, how he thought. And he was so intellectually gifted. Um, and so naturally curious so that, yes, he extended your resume in his mind every time you saw him, because that's just how he rolled and how he thought. You know, ESPN ran that Gibson game just last week, and I I got so caught up in it. I, Charlie, I found myself live tweeting it just because... Just to type those words and look who's coming up. <laughs> People went crazy. You know, you, it gave you chills to type the words. You know, and, and and it gives me chills every time. And Lord knows I've heard it a lot in the last week. Fly, high fly ball to right, right there. <laughs> he got me. And then, and then the Gibson trotting around the bases with his uh, fist, uh, fist clenched and his arm moving and... And, and then to see give Gibson today, it, he just had this raw, natural ability to communicate. And, and, you know, he didn't talk to an audience. He talked to you. That, I think, is what separates him from everybody else. He was having a one-on-one conversation with you. He didn't need no stinking analyst. <laughs> and, and, and so... So I would watch him work, um, you know, in, in those three innings that I wasn't, not, not often because we were in our own booth, uh, but just to watch it. He was, having, he was having a one-on-one conversation with everybody, but one at a time. That, I think, was also part of his extraordinary communicative skill. He was a communicator. He was a broadcast. And he was also... Your uncle or your dad, you know, uh, he was all of those things that 
I don't know who else has ever had that ability. And I don't know that there's anybody out there who currently does or ever will. Yeah. And you know, Casas and I have talked about this, that we'll never see baseball produced that way again, right? No telecast will ever in our lifetimes or anyone's lifetimes be constructed around the brilliance of that one guy in the booth. Correct? Absolutely. Yes. You know, again, in this day and age where you've got uh, production techniques and you've got stats and all this other stuff, that was, Ben could care less. He wanted to talk to his friend. His friend was you, the listener, about what it is he sees and how he can help add to the broadcast, whether it was on radio, where he did it better than anybody else, or on television, where it's a totally different um, discipline, um, where he would add to the picture, whereas on radio, you have to paint the picture. And so he could do it with an economy of words on television and then just the precise number of words on radio. So yes, in Vin's case, it was a play-by-play announcers-driven production. And this, these, day, uh, these days, in this age, it is now more of a producer's game. Um, and that's just the way it's evolved. Um, and that's fine. And I think that's probably why I like radio so much more than television. Um, but it was his game. And the producer and the director had to follow him as opposed to the other way around where, where and how this game and the production of the game has evolved. And, and you know, Charlie, one one point I want to underscore, I think, is he, I think he gave to the world as well. Is you know, you, you sometimes hear as a player, for example, you get a hitting coach is like, oh well, he didn't play, you know, and it's almost like you lose credibility because you didn't play, you weren't there, you're not this, you didn't study. It just seems like Vin Scully, to to your point about, he had this genius about it, and he could be an analyst without having to have been a major league ball player at a major league game. I mean, what do you, what do you think the gift is in that light? Because, you know, like you said, he could have just been, he's the only one in the booth and that was enough. I mean, he gave you expertise and insight and there was never this sense of like, oh, well, he didn't play, so he doesn't know. Like what, what was, you know, what is that gift that he's leaving us? You know, I was talking with one of his daughters, Aaron, today. Again, it's, it's it's tough, but you know, there he was for sixty-seven years, and for probably fifty of those sixty-seven, at that point, he was regarded as the best of all time. So he immediately had gravitas, um, and so if it was a new manager, an old manager, they had seen them all. And so, and he had no axe to grind. He had no agenda. He never said anything outlandish, never said anything stupid. And, and so as each year was added to his life and to his, his career, it was like more bark on his tree. And who dare question him uh, after all of that? Again, he never had an axe to grind with anybody. Did you ever ever remember him saying something remotely controversial no he he just he had whatever it was 
he had it and everybody knew it. And I think going back to what we were talking about earlier, uh, Jason was uh, watching the, the players' faces on Friday night as, as that ceremony was going on. And, uh, you know, Vin was three or four times the age of those kids, um, as crazy as it sounds. Um, and there was that reference. Um, and again, he, he never said anything stupid. He never said anything where, oh, gee, I'm really sorry about that. Because he, he also had the ability to edit himself on the fly. Um, he, he, every, you know, you, you look for some box that you can't check for him. He's so I wish I had a better answer for you other than he was doing it a long time. He was at the top of his game for a long time and who dare criticize him? what some young player is going to say. Oh, you hear what Scully said? Get out of here. Right, but that happens, Charlie. That's and that's what's so amazing that he you talk about winning an audience. It it wasn't just, you know, the listener, right? The players were enthralled, enchanted. I mean, I had Harry Callis and I had an inside the park home run at Veteran Stadium, and I just wanted to hear his call because I missed it running around the bases. Like I mean you were right, I'm just at like the time. I I mean, you know, it, it it's almost like it happened because Vin Scully framed it, and and all of baseball has you know such a debt of gratitude because when someone is that great can memorialize something, you feel like he is the time capsule in some respects because you know it it just endures and I just think those calls are just going to be played forever it, as long as baseball is around. Some of the greatest baseball calls of all time just happen to be his, <laughs> which is so staggering because again. In the 70s and 80s, when you know he had the NBC Game of the Week and he was doing the World Series, and so he's quite naturally doing all the big games. And oh, by the way, he delivered the goods on those big games. And so there he was, and and, and there he is. And as we look back, and you you Doug, you were mentioning Harry Callis, who was just a wonderful human being, and. Uh, all of the great guys, Ernie Harwell, uh, Bob Prince, all great baseball announcers, but they weren't quite at Ben's level. They were they were great baseball announcers for their teams, and I admired their work technically and otherwise. But Vin had this this gravitas, this avuncular quality that not that the other guys didn't have it; they just didn't have it, and he did. And there he was doing all those big games for all those years. And his voice is tied to all those games. And so, yeah, we're going to hear Vin's voice as long as they play baseball. All right, Charlie, let's try to do this. Let's try to define it. What is Vin Scully's legacy? Uh, that's something we've all been trying to wrap our brains around since 2016, but never more than in the last week. Is it possible for you, his dear friend, to define Vin Scully's legacy. I don't mean to sound like Yogi, but I'm going to, I think. Vin's legacy is that he was Vin. It was He was so beloved for so many reasons. 
And so when we think back on Vin and his legacy, was it his use of words? Was it his voice? Was it his skill to talk one-on-one? -on -one? Was it his genuine decency that flowed through the speakers or the screen? Uh, Vin's legacy is that it was Vin. All right, but, but one more thing, 67 years is, is a big part of that legacy. Uh, right? who, who else's run of greatness lasted 67 years? Springsteen? In any line of work. In any line of work. Springsteen, McCartney, he, sorry. <laughs> McCartney. <laughs> yeah, and when you leave after 67, there's still nobody better. That is, so, that, so, yeah, I mean, so Vin's legacy is that he was Vin. And I'm, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, it's as simple as, yeah, he was Babe Ruth, but Vin was Vin. And I think that's his legacy. Yeah, and 67 years of Vin was pretty special. And you know what else, what else has been special? Talking to you about Vin for the last hour. Um, for you, well, I'm so glad you asked. Well, listen, for you to come right from the funeral to Starkville to share this with us, uh, that's something that we will never forget. So... Thank Neither you a lot. Thank you to two of my friends. Thank you so much, really. Well, Charlie, look forward to seeing you somewhere soon. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N. 
MLBShow.com, promo code MLBShow. Doug, our tribute to Vince Scully continues, even in the trivia segment. Uh, Here's my theory on this. If we have a Vin Scully trivia question and we get that wrong, no one will care because they'll all be basking in the magic of Vin and they won't even notice. You think that'll work? Absolutely. Yeah, it's like a Jedi mind trick. And he was kind of like a Jedi, so it's appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let let me just say it had better work because I do not like our chances with this question. (laughs) With no further ado, let's welcome in this week's special trivia guest star. It's my friend, Brett Mandel. Brett, welcome to Starkville. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, You know, Doug, I'm not sure if your path has ever crossed with Brett. I know you signed a book for his wife, but uh, his company, uh, Baseball BBQ, is one you've probably seen in your travels. Uh, They make really cool baseball barbecue tools. Uh, I've done a little shopping there myself, I have to admit. Uh, So I'm going to be a good friend of Brett here. Brett, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to tell people all about your company. Of course, I'm unprepared to do this at all. (laughs) Baseball BBQ has patents on bat handle barbecue tools. We have licensing for major league tools. We can do cutting boards, personalized, customized. Visit Baseball BBQ so you can step up to the plate like a big leaguer. He did not know that I was going to set him up to do this. So apparently he's done it before. That was <laughs> a fast pitch and I, right over the heart. And I grill, I grill all summer, man. So I I will be calling you because I'm yeah. always out on the grill here in, in Connecticut. So yeah, These are great. I mean, we, we really, we use them four or five times a week and people always ask us, where'd you get them? So anyway, uh, now that we've got the barbecue part out of the way, uh, Brett has a really fun question. Impossible, but fun. Uh, so tell us how you came up with the question. Just don't tell us what the question is yet. I certainly will not give it away. But when the uh, the occasion came that you were looking for a trivia question about a very special subject this week, I was looking around and I thought I knew something about this, uh, this history. And uh, it turned out there was a little bit more that I didn't know. So I combined it into, I think, a fun question. It is a fun question, except for the part where we're going to get it wrong. Yeah, well, it's fitting that <laughs> he's barbecue because I know that we're pretty much on the grill now, so it's over. He, he, yeah, that yeah, roast right. high we'll temperatures. Be, he'll be grilling us. Uh, uh, we'll go up in flames. Other people will find it fun. So what could possibly go wrong, right? All right, so so Brett, you're going to be the latest Starkville visitor to vanquish us <laughs> with trivia. So hit us with your question, my friend. Fair enough. So we all know that perfect games are more rare than a $4 beer at a major league game. Vince Scully, (laughs) the legendary Vince Scully, got to call a number of them. Can you name the four perfect games called by Vince Scully? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, Four perfect games in 67 years. Uh, This should be easy. (laughs) <laughs> now, I'm, I'm trying to figure, are we on a I, gas grill or, or charcoal right now? What, what yeah, it's not going to matter. It doesn't matter. It'll be unrecognizable. Okay. Yeah. All right, look, I thought I thought of two of these right away. Uh, Sandy Koufax, that's obvious. Don Larson in the World Series, that was easy. That's two of them out of the way. Then what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, it's really hard to recall, if you're not cheating, who pitched a perfect game 
or who might have pitched one against the Dodgers. And I don't know about you, Doug, my knowledge of guys who threw perfect games in like 1957, not that good. Yeah. But then the problem is, you referenced this earlier, all the NBC games that Vin did. Uh, so we're really just throwing darts here. I mean... Well, I got a good dart. Andy. I have a good dart on that one. Yeah, all right, let's hear but it. I, have one. I, I really, I don't know. I'll just yeah. give you the cadence that he said at the end. El Presidente es perfecto. Ooh. Right? Dennis Martinez. Right. That was exposed. Very good. All right. Right, 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 right. Or do you say and, El Perfecto? I don't know if it's S or L. I, I think it was El, El Perfecto. Perfecto. Very good. Okay. <laughs> okay, so that I think that's three. And I feel like, here's the fourth, like somebody pitched one for the Cubs against the Dodgers at Wrigley, but I I just can't think of who. Ken Holtzman, maybe? Rick, Rick Russell. You know, Pappas, I don't know. Pappas, then, yeah. The other thing was, yeah, Vin did all the NBC Didn't Pappas games. hit those home runs and, and didn't throw a perfect game and hit? Uh, it was like Rick so. Wise kind I'm of. I'm thinking of Rick Wise, yeah. No, I thought Pappas. All right, so I think of something, man. It, it, it could have been, it could be anybody, though. For, did Fernando throw a perfect game ever? He, no hitter, not a perfecto. Okay. Um, I mean, who are their great pictures? You know, I mean, obviously. I thought about Don Newcomb. Kershaw never did. threw a perfect game. Kershaw never. Uh, Kershaw no. had perfect game bids no. just this year, in fact. But I don't think he ever threw a perfect game. Did throw a no-hitter. Nomo? What about Nomo? Hideo? Uh, no, he threw a no-hitter at Coors Field. Not a perfect game. Uh, uh, Don Drysdale, pretty sure he never did. Don Dreyford. Newcomb. Hershiser. Hershiser. Messer Smith. Uh, I, 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 Jerry I, Royce, Ramona, mm, uh, any of the Hootens, Suttons. I don't know. Just look, just pick a name. We'll get this over. Uh, I mean, I don't know. We got to try something bold. I all right. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think if you well, did that Cubs thing? Does that make? Does that sound right? Like a Cubs? You, you, you want to guess like? I mean, I was, I was gonna, I the, was gonna guess like Milt Pappas. I mean, it sounded cool because I remember he did something amazing. <laughs> so I said, why not? He did something amazing. <laughs> All right, whatever. Brett, uh, by some miracle, could it be Koufax, Larson, Dennis Martinez, <laughs> and Milt Pappas? You are as wrong as mayonnaise on a hot dog. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty wrong. That's far off. All right, well, sorry, you can give us the answers now. <laughs> All right. So, of course, Don Larson, World Series, perfect game. Yeah. Iconic Sandy Koufax. El Presidente. Right. But in 1999, Vin Scully played himself in the film For Love of the Game, where he calls Billy Chappell's fictional perfecto. That's right. He did call that one. Wow. So we got three out of three, right, of real people? Batting 750. You're not going to oh, go Oh, well, we, at least I go to the mayor on that one. I'm feeling pretty good at that. <laughs> Yeah, I need a ruling on this. I, I, we got the real perfect games. Wow, we just amazing. failed to get the cinematic perfect game. I do remember that. Now and that what are we that, like? Yeah. We're two and we're two and eighteen in since opening day. I think that's what you said last <laughs> week. We need help here, Mr. Mayor. So I, are, are I made I made the decision earlier today when I was going over this. I said, you know what? If they get the three real ones, I'm going to give it to them because they need it. Oh. So I'm going to give it to you. I think you get credit uh, for this one. <laughs> Really? I'll take, I think I'll take so. it. So raising our record to three and eighteen. <laughs> I mean, the fact that Doug had the call on Dennis Martinez. I yeah. Yeah. You guys. Yeah, 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 I, yeah. I mean, I will say, Brett, are you okay with that? Are you are you fine with me giving them official credit since a fictional movie 
when, it makes when for I a did, great question, but I, I feel like th these guys need a lift right now. They're in a when, when I debuted yeah. the, the trivia question with my father and I gave him the answer, he said, got him on a curveball. Yeah, <laughs> big time. Girl. I'll let you guys Splitter. slide because you got the three out of four that were totally real. Although that, <laughs> that Billy Chapel, he pitched a gem in New York that night. Yeah, that, that I will was, say yeah, that one last cool. thing on the Billy Chapel because I was going to use that for the audio, um, but I went back and listened to the movie and vin does the setup but he never actually right. calls like the final out because um, they out? go to the movie right like he does all the setup I, so i was gonna ask so him. i didn't have that actual ending <laughs> call for it interesting <laughs> all right well look here's the important part we're gonna get to hear vin scully again <laughs> because this is where our mayor tim mcmaster plays some wonderful vin scully clip of somebody Throwing a perfect game. So, Tim, which one did you pick? Well, we had to go with the actual Dodger. So we get Sandy Koufax's <laughs> perfect game. Here you go. It is 9.46 p.m. Two and two to Harvey Keene. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung on and missed a perfect game. On the scoreboard in right field, it is 9.46 p.m. In the city of the Angels, Los Angeles, California. And a crowd of 29,139 just sitting in to see the only pitcher in baseball history to hurl four no-hit, no-run games. He has done it four straight years, and now he capped it on his fourth no-hitter. He made it a perfect game. Wow. Ah, wow. So good. It was 9.46 p.m. in the City of Angels, in case you didn't catch that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Wow. Who captured those big moments better than Vin, right? I mean, amazing. Amazing. Brett, fabulous work with your question. Uh, keep the questions coming. Keep the baseball barbecue tools coming. And uh, come back and visit us again sometime in Starkville, okay? It would be my pleasure. Strange but true. Well, we had to have one segment of this show today that didn't involve Vin Scully, and this would be that segment it's time for the strange but true. And I got a really weird one for you this week, Doug. This is another one of those weird things in baseball <laughs> that causes people to start tweeting at me. You probably saw this game, right? Uh, this was, okay, this was Friday. Um, it, it's a Twins-Blue Jays game. And, you know, people are just tweeting at me all of a sudden. Hey, you saw this, right? And so, if that, if this is you, like if you're listening to if you're listening out there and you see something bizarre, feel free to alert me to anything strange but true that you see. Sorry. Right, so this game is Friday. By Saturday, people are tweeting at me like crazy about Twins, Blue Jays. Uh, this was an extra inning game, so zombie runners were. Very involved. Very, very involved. Yeah, they took over the world and, that day, yeah. <laughs> always. And the craziness all resolved around uh, this scenario. Zombie on second to start the 10th inning. Uh, Jordan Romano, the closer for the Blue Jays, is on the mound. There's nobody out. Jake Cave at the, is at the plate. The count goes to three and two. Let's hear what happened next. Strike three, there needs to be a throw, and it's a high throw. Cave is safe, and Gordon will go to third. Chopper, Chapman comes home, a low throw. 
Twins win the game. Barton slides in head first. Evades Jansen's tag, and the Twins walk the Jays off. <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> Great work from Dick Brimmer on the Twins telecast. So, uh, this started with a strikeout. That's usually good. But not all strikeouts actually lead to outs. As we heard there, there was a strikeout wild pitch situation, wild throw. So now runners on first and third. Uh, and w- like what happens when you have a strikeout with nobody actually being out and you have a zombie runner involved? <laughs> it leads to that bizarre ending, which you heard. Uh, it was a ground ball to third. <laughs> the Blue Jays go home. Don't get the out there. So, this is what it leads to for Jordan Romano. No hits, no walks, no hit batters, one strikeout, but somehow or other, no outs, (laughs) one run, which was not earned, actually very, very not earned, and one loss. So, it's the old 0-0-1, box score line. With a loss, a strikeout, no earned runs, no hits, no walks, and he lost the game. That's a line never before witnessed, Doug. I did look. We've had two previous 0-0-1-0-0-1 lines in the pre-zombie era, but they didn't cause the guy on the mound who did nothing wrong to lose the game. So... Doug, you're a fan of the weirdness. Oh, yeah. This... Your thoughts on 0-0-1-0-0-1, and you lose Jordan Romano. Yeah, you know, I feel very uh, apocalyptic when I when I kind of think about that. Um, I think that might be Morse code, 0-0-1-0-0-1. I think you got to yes. check out what that means. Uh, yeah, it was it's bananas. And, you know, first of all, as a hitter, striking out is bad enough, especially if Dodger Stadium, where you actually have to walk all the way back you need like a train to get from home plate to, to first. So every step, the fans are like <laughs> left, right, left, right, you know, all that. So that's horrible enough. But then I think it's actually worse to then have to run. Like, first of all, you don't want to exert any energy after you strike out. You just want to actually lay on a pillow, take a nap, and then go get them the next at bat. The last thing you want to do is then have to go on a full sprint to first base. That just It doesn't actually align. <laughs> When mentally you just have been thrown in the toilet and then you got to get up and be like, oh, yeah, now let me just go for a sprint. Terrible, terrible combination. It's, <laughs> it's the biggest pendulum swing in baseball. So then you have to run to first. And then I don't even know if you're happy when you make it either. You make it, but and yeah, unselfishly, it's great for the, quote, team. But now you just feel like you're on like some sort of island, you know, Gilligan's Island. You're standing at first. Why am I here? I, I didn't earn my way on here just to catch her. Somebody just messed up. And you're over here just waiting. And then, of course, you have, then eventually you have to exert more energy running all around and scoring. Yeah, it's great. You might have won the game, but you, you struck out. You struck out. And still, strikeouts will always still have that little league feeling to it where you just, you know, you feel like you've just, you know, been just absolutely destroyed. Slaves are horrible. And uh, so I think today, even though the strikeout totals are very high and people are kind of used to it, nah, I'm telling you, nobody wants to strike out and then run and exert energy. So um, so I can imagine Romano did his job, you know, cave over there. And I want to say, did he, did he even get to second? Like a defensive indifference? There was something also. Yeah, there was defensive indifference yeah. in there also. I mean, just throw Yeah, so we had, we yeah. had it all, man. Yeah. We really did. Yeah, indifference, you had zombies, you had strikeouts, you had outs that weren't outs, you had the sprint to first after striking out. 
You get a game when you hit the ball, never left the infield. And yeah, Morse code of 001001. So Dang. I don't know. I think that, you know, that might have to be our, our, I think we make a statue right now in Starkville. And it is a strikeout, you guys swinging. And you have 001001 at the base of the statue. And then you actually point it towards maybe Venus or Jupiter and then see if alien life arrives. Because that, that's how ridiculous striking out and having to sprint is. So that's what I got for you. Yeah. And, and so, we, so that, that runner would be thinking, why am I here? How did I get here? Yeah. It's very existential. Yeah. E.T. <laughs> E.T. phone home right there. Yeah. Yeah. Nowhere to f- that, that number's unlisted. Oh, wait. No, it's not. 001001 yeah. is the number to call. <laughs> Yeah, you know, Doug, I don't know where else in the Potterverse you'd get to hear about box score lines never before seen by humankind, but it's what we do here. And all I can say is, seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> all right, that's going to do it for this week's show. We'll be bringing you podcast magic just like this all season long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to read any of the amazing writing in The Athletic, here's a good way to do that. Try navigating over to theathletic.com slash baseball show. And if you're a new subscriber, you can still subscribe for just $1 a month for the next six months. $1, I said. Also remember, you too can be part of this podcast. Every show, we pick a really fun listener trivia question, then that listener gets to join us right here and prove every single week. There's almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong. So how would you submit a question to the likes of us? There is the email possibility at Starkville at theathletic.com. That's Starkville with an E on the end. Or you can send us the questions via the Twitter, and believe it or not, Doug Glanville can be reached via the Twitter. Yeah. Doug, tell them how. Piece of cake. Well, it's my name, which is basic, at Doug Glanville. D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. Beautiful. Yeah. Glanville also has an E on the end. Yes. Coincidence? Yes. You decide. <laughs> and me, I am Jason with a Y-S-T. So at J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. Please remember, hashtag the questions, hashtag Starkville QS. Also, please remember, do not answer the trivia questions. <laughs> we had some issues with that again this week. We're not pleased, okay? <laughs> Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Charlie Steiner for joining us. Thanks to Brett Mandel for the perfect Vince Scully trivia question if you know what I mean. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, for producing us and especially putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Tomorrow is roundtable day here on the Athletic Baseball Show. And Doug and I will see you soon on Starkville.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.